Greetings and salutations to all of you wonderful people out there listening to this podcast episode right now at this very moment. Welcome to episode three of the Raindrop Corner, (laughs) the very, very delayed episode three of the Raindrop Corner. For those of you who have heard this podcast before, or for those of you who have been listening since day one and you got used to me being on a set schedule, My deepest appreciation goes out to you all for being patient with me during this very long lapse of uploading. I had the privilege and the honor this week of interviewing Tony Nickel, a director at the Jacksonville Symphony, and we talked about things beyond just what a symphonic orchestra is. As a person who knows a bit about symphonic music and has gone to a fair share of performances, it was nice to get to talk about the complexities beyond what makes a symphony orchestra work, and specifically a nonprofit and some of the challenges and triumphs they've had as a nonprofit that's been standing for quite some time. I do realize that there might be a lot of newcomers to this podcast because either they follow the Jacksonville Symphony, um, they are a member of the Jacksonville Symphony, they work there, or maybe they just like symphonic music, or maybe a select few of you have just stumbled across my podcast. The loose structure of the Raindrop Corner is me interviewing um, inspirational people, organizations, or nonprofits such as the Jacksonville Symphony, and really getting a glimpse into their vision and their aspirations for the future and what they bring to their community. So I sincerely hope that all of you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. There might be moments during this podcast where you hear a little bit of background noise. I try to edit out as much as I could. However, if some things have slipped through the cracks, you'll have to pardon me for that. Thank you for listening. I'm here with Tony Nickel, director of the Jacksonville Symphony. Thank you so much for allowing me to interview today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, absolutely. So tell me, what what exactly is your role for what you do for the Jacksonville Symphony? I know you're a director, but tell me a little bit about how you became the director of the Jacksonville Symphony. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, as director of artistic operations, my uh, duties uh, span quite a few areas of the spectrum. It's one of the most confusing jobs to describe for any <laughs> for any orchestra because it wears a lot of hat. In a nutshell, any uh, performing arts inst- institution will have um, you know, finance like any institution will, and they'll have their fundraising or development department, and they'll have their marketing department. Uh, and, and those really cover a lot of the areas um, from, you know, getting the word out to the public, to um, getting people in the door, and, and fundraising from donors, and uh, making sure that everything is fiscally stable and accounted for. And then there's everything else, which is how do you actually get the product from idea to realization. And that's where artistic and operations, which are kind of one big department here at the Jacksonville Symphony uh, comes into play. The artistic side is is the developing and uh, curating of, of artistic ideas, choosing programming, choosing guest artists, choosing guest conductors who, who may come in on weeks when neither our music director nor our associate conductor are conducting. And then actually translating those ideas into an actual physical product, and that's sort of the operations end of things. And that involves everything from uh, the orchestra personnel, the actual musicians who are really the the 
front-facing members of the symphony to the library, which uh, will acquire and prepare the music that the musicians play from. Uh, it also involves a, sta- a stage crew, which makes sure that all the technical components are taken care of um, and all the physical uh, needs on the stage and in the house are accounted for. So it's really a lot of um, the really small gears of the engine of an organization fall under the operations and um, a a lot of the curation happens on the artistic end. So I I sort of have my my hands in a lot of different pies um, within the organization. (laughs) Um, And and you asked how I, I, I came to have this job. You, if you look around the country, you see a lot of individuals in jobs like this who come into it from a lot of different angles. Um, it's, not, uh, it's a little bit more diverse than something, say, uh, a director or um, director-level position in marketing, where oftentimes people will have had uh, some sort of degree or training in marketing um, in higher ed. Many times they will come from the for-profit sector into the nonprofit sector in a marketing capacity. And it's a little bit different in artistic. There, there are degree programs out there for arts education, for arts administration. But in the grand scheme of things, they're relatively young. There probably weren't that many degrees uh, in that field more than the last 20 years. So you have a lot of people who were either former musicians or they worked in a totally different field and, and came into this. It really does require a fundamental understanding of how a performing arts organization works and how and what their needs are. And you do need a sort of a baseline knowledge of the repertoire that is being performed, whether you work for a a dance company, or a, a symphony orchestra, or an opera company. You, you need to understand something about the art itself to be able to go out and say, I think we should do this piece of, of art, or we should hire this guest artist to come and perform. But beyond that, the skill set is really one of imagination and problem solving and a lot of interpersonal skills. I can imagine. <laughs> so, you know, I came uh, to the Jacksonville Symphony from 10 years teaching in academia in a music department at a small university in Iowa. And I also worked both as a pianist and as a production manager for a small opera company in Iowa as well. That's pretty awesome. I know you say here you wear many hats. I can't even begin to imagine how intricate that can get at times. Did you see yourself working at a symphony um, early on in your life? You said you spent a lot of time in academia. Was a teacher what you wanted to be originally? Well, actually, I went from high school into college wanting to be a lawyer, and I went to a small private liberal arts college in the Midwest, that Cornell College, that where I double majored in politics and in music. I had a very nice uh, music scholarship on piano, and I loved it, and it was important to me that I kept that a big part of my life, but I was pursuing a track to you know, end up in law school. 
And it was about halfway through my undergraduate career that I did an internship and just decided that while the philosophy and theory of law was so fascinating to me, the practical day-to-day application of it really was probably not as much. So I thought, well, what can I do with music? I'm I'm certainly not going to be a a concert pianist um, (laughs) and make a career doing that. You know, there are such a very, very, very small number of people in the entire world who can do that. And and I was, uh, while I was uh, capable, I was not going to be one of them. So I I thought, well, I'll, maybe I can pursue a, a graduate degree moving toward higher education. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to procure a uh, higher ed job. It was a small university, but you know, a full-time uh, non-tenure track position, uh, which is, as many people in academia know, uh, an increasingly uh, scarce opportunity. So I was very lucky to have that position for 10 years. It wasn't until the last couple of years in that field and also working with the opera company that I really started to think about the administrative side of an arts organization as taking a lot of the aspects that I loved, all the, all the areas I was working, it really could fold that into one, which were the ability to curate and be creative in the way that we that art is programmed and presented to the public and the ability to continue to bring new generations and new audiences into a field that is desperately searching every day for next generation's audience to be sustainable. It's just such a beautiful philosophy because when you go back into the history of Jacksonville, it was at one point, the Jacksonville Symphony has been around since 1949. And at the start of it, this was a very segregated city to live in. Right. And it was when the symphony was kind of in its early flux, if you will, it was very much so defined by your typical type of things that you would expect, like Bach and Beethoven, Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit of Strauss, but more traditional type of music that Mm -hmm. we're used to. So the idea of taking something that we're already familiar with and adding a new verve to it is just so interesting, and it really engages a larger audience. If you could walk me through a little bit of your creative process, to kind of make it a little bit new and I guess revitalized might be a better word to use. Yeah. What was that like for you? That, that is uh, a, the million dollar question that every arts organization across the country is asking themselves now because for several generations they could rely on a model that is really no longer the case which is one of having a core subscriber audience that accounted for nearly all of the revenue that they they needed. Many arts organizations for years were selling 85, 90 plus percent of their total capacity for a season through subscriptions, which is very different than having to sell, you know, single tickets to every concert. And as Culture has changed for so many reasons, which uh, 
you know, we could you, you could have an entire series for for, <laughs> an, for a year on on the the impeti behind that. But um, because of many reasons, cult, culturally, we just don't behave in the same way anymore, and audiences don't behave in the same way. And more and more of the seats that are sold across the country, including here in Jacksonville, are through single tickets for an individual concert. So that takes a lot of a different perspective. And as fewer and fewer people, as they get into to middle age and where they would have historically transitioned into becoming major arts patrons and loyal ticket buyers, there's just a smaller percentage of, of people who are transitioning into that because it wasn't a part of their childhood. And this also comes alongside America becoming more wonderfully diverse with every generation. As our diversity enriches what you know, the United States is, we also have to, as a cultural institution, recognize that and make that part of our vision and part of our mission, mission that we are indeed serving an entire community uh, rather than just a portion of it. It's a front and center focal point of the symphony to serve Jacksonville as an as a entire community, which does involve not only playing what will always be at our core, which is classical music that really gave rise to symphony orchestras. We will always play Bach and Beethoven and Brahms and Mozart. Part of fulfilling that vision and fulfilling our duty to the community is not only keeping the art live and vibrant, fresh, by you know, continuing to program music that is, is being created today. So when we begin the process of looking at programming an entire season, it, it starts with th these backbone components of the classical repertoire, but, and, and then we start to see what other areas need to be filled in order to have a balanced arc of a season. And that can be anything from filling in, if we have a lot of German rep, let's find some uh, repertoire from other countries. Let's find some uh, repertoire from more recent decades, maybe something from the 21st century. Let's look at what can bring audiences who are not less familiar with classical or high art music and still bring them in to see a great musical product. And that's what has sort of uh, prompted this film with orchestra series where, where we have a film projected on a large screen above the stage while the musicians play the live score from the film. And that has proven really successful at getting a lot of first timers in the door and um, a lot of, of younger audiences and families bringing, bringing their children to the orchestra. And uh, we look at not at, at programming non-classical repertoire, something focused on popular culture, to music from the baby boomers, the decades when they were coming of age, to artists who does a tribute show for uh, these great African American women of the 20th century, 
from Diana Ross to the opera singer Leontine Price. You know, we, we really like to explore this wealth of great programming that is available to us that really provides a very diverse season from, from beginning to end. All different styles of music, all different cultures, and, uh, I, and we think that that is really something that we, a role that we need to play as a, a leading cultural institution in Jacksonville. And I, I just think that's so important because the arts is, it's one of those things that we almost have to protect in a sense. In, in the world that we live in, there's a lot of schools that don't always have an arts program or music classes or things of the like. And personal experience that I've had as a child, it was back when you know we still had arts classes. So I was graced with the ability to go to the symphony and kind of see more eclectic shows that kind of broke away from the tradition. When I got here to Jacksonville, the first show I saw actually was one of the ones that you mentioned earlier where you have the, a movie projected and then you have the orchestra playing. And I was actually able to bring some of the kids that um, I volunteer with before I was a teacher and they enjoyed it. That was their first experience um, at a symphony and it encouraged them to come back and to be able to touch someone is just such an important thing. What is your vision for what you do and what you see going forward? I think that, in a nutshell, the future of the performing arts, outside of maybe the absolute largest institutions in the world, I, I think um, organizations like the New York Philharmonic or the Metropolitan Opera or uh, the Berlin Phil, outside of the absolute largest, which I think will always have enough support, or at least for several generations, will have the support to remain very focused on a specific iteration of, of an art form. I, I think that many of the mid-sized performing arts organizations will need to become increasingly diverse, not only in the art that they've always been performing, but in folding in other art forms as well. I think that this is somewhat philosophical, but also somewhat pragmatic. So as a symphony orchestra, I think in order to continue to serve the, the, size, the sizes of audiences that we'll need to, to remain viable and a force in the community, and also just to remain sustainable, both programmatically and fiscally. There needs to be some shared resources that um, happens between institutions, which is nothing new. This season alone, we're presenting an opera, for instance, and that's becoming something that's going to be happening on every one of our seasons. And that is not a traditional thing for symphony orchestras to be doing outside of maybe a concert version of an opera where you don't have anything other than singers standing at the front of the stage with, you know, singing the repertoire. But we're looking to actually do um, essentially what is essentially staged opera in our concert hall, which is sort of a somewhat new concept for orchestras our size to be doing essentially fully staged opera in uh, not in a theater but in a concert hall. We're partnering and, and that involves partnerships with 
many non-traditional symphonic partners to pull that off. We're partnering with MOCA to do a very multimedia performance that involves visual projection that is connected to a MOCA exhibit that is going on right now. It also ties into the music being performed. So it, it is truly a, an interconnected work of art. It's not just music that also has a visual component, but they are very symbiotic. This, uh, this is just sort of a small sampling of, of this bigger philosophy that we need to reach multiple audiences by diversifying the programming in ways that we may not have even thought of yet, but we have to consider, is our core vision, our core mission, our core values, are they limited or you know, is our mission, you know, which is essentially to stir souls through uh, symphonic music, what, what can that really include? And uh, I think to achieve what we're going to and to remain sustainable in the future, it's going to have to include uh, a lot of imaginative collaborations and partnerships uh, to attract audiences and also to be efficient and f to share resources in a way that allow multiple artistic organizations to remain viable and therefore keep enough creative minds in the field on the, on the forefront because without that it's going to uh, not compete with all the really accessible and really affordable media that is at everyone's fingertips right now. So we have to be doing something that gives uh, people visceral experience that is not just an alternative but something that's irreplaceable. Throughout the process of, of trying to create like an integrated medium of communication whether it's performance art or whether it's considering other facets of um, the symphony altogether would you say that you've seen positive change from starting to integrate new concepts into how you all run the symphony and what kind of seasons you offer? We're very lucky to have the kind of leadership in our music director, Courtney Lewis, and um, our president CEO, Robert Massey, both of whom we, we've seen very discernible and, and tasty change uh, in, in, the, in the way that you're describing. Um, and, and they are almost a cliche now in the industry. Uh, we're lucky because that's the kind of leadership that is needed to make sure that uh, the Jacksonville Symphony is moving into a position to be a um, sustainable institution in the 21st century that is guiding everything we do. You know, we don't just think, oh, this would be really neat to program. It really is always part of a bigger vision and, and part of our, our core values. And, and you see it when you look at our season as, as a whole, the season that we're currently in and the next season as well. They are, everything is very carefully curated in a way that you, you see that arc, you see that complete vision of, of you know, the things that I've mentioned already being reified. And, and it's not just in the programming that we do here in the hall, it's in the programs that we take out into the community. 
whether it be our free community concerts around Jacksonville and Northeast Florida, tremendous educational programming that our education department is also curating to serve all ages, the, the K through 12 students, um, the public schools, to you know, community programs, engaging adults in an active learning capacity. It, it's all part of the, the broader vision. Nothing is sort of its own machine just operating toward its own ends. And, and it's really the leadership of Courtney Lewis and Robert Massey that have unified it all in moving in this direction that is very new and is happening very fast. You know, it's, it's a, a philosophy that we share here, which is be, be gutsy and, and make some bold choices. And if, you're, if we're going to fail, we're going to fail fast and pivot onto the next uh, path. And that's, that's such a beautiful thing that people are actually receptive to change and they see the need for it. Um, oftentimes, communities all over the world will have needs that need to be met and they aren't. So there is a huge area of opportunity that kind of affects the entire community. As a result, uh, one of the things that I noticed when I became involved in the symphony is I noticed how many outreach programs you had to benefit, not just individuals that came to see a show, but children, um, individuals who might not be able to afford to buy an instrument, and you all giving them the opportunity to experience music. So this is truly a very enriching place. Was that important to you when you made the decision to decide to work here? Uh, absolutely, because I believe in uh, this vision that you're describing. I believe in, in, in being part of that. And yes, I mean, anything that you list specifically, a, a specific iteration of that vision, the, the short answer would be yes. But it's being part of an organization that has a holistic vision that is about making exciting art, including as many people as possible, and being imaginative as to how we're going to do that. That is so critical is being finding accessibility paths for those who uh, may not see uh, a path. They may, they may just have loads of barriers to entry. Classical music is sort of the, the gulf of, of of the performing arts because it requires money. It requires an instrument, which um, may very well not be um, very affordable to many. Um, and it often requires either music lessons or at the very least participation in, in, in group uh, ensembles. And, and that all comes with a, a, a financial um, expense and we are always um, looking for ways to reduce those barriers of entry to uh, as many as many uh, children in the Jacksonville community as possible and we have a lot of programs and scholarships in place for for that that our education department manages and they do a great job of that and we're always looking for Ways and there, are, there are a lot of very fast changes happening within our education and community engagement departments that are providing new opportunities geographically or financially. Because as we know, Jacksonville is a 
big, big city, and it's very spread out. And it's uh, really huge city. you know, so we're we're exploring ways all the time to um, reduce those geographic barriers that a lot of uh, students may face. Music has shaped a vast portion of the symphony itself because it's all about music. Sure. Um, but also, you personally, when you're watching a performance and you're looking out at the crowd, or maybe you even have the ability to look out at some of the artists doing the actual performance, do you see that vision highlighted in the emotion that they give during those performances and the faces of the people in the audience watching that performance? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that um, there is a really positive reaction to the direction that the symphony is going. Our audiences comment on how the symphony sounds as good as it's ever sounded. You know, long-time long time patrons are, are making those comments frequently. But then also, not just in the quality of, of the performance, but also the range. So I guess the breadth and the depth of the performances. People being excited that we are exploring you know, new programming. Um, you know, just a, a couple of weeks ago, we had, for one of our pop shows, we brought in this program that was curated by Second City, the famous comedy troupe um, based both out of Chicago and Toronto. And they put together a symphony show where they have, you know, these orchestra parts that, and, and a lot of their shtick and bits involve um, a lot of classical music. And it, it's hilarious, but you know, it's uh, Second City is a comedy troupe that is sometimes a little edgy, and uh, you know, we had a pretty uh, diverse reactions to in, in the audience to the, their their bold humor. Um, but I'll tell you, we had so many people who said said that they'd never seen anything like that for at a symphony and loved it and have received a lot of letters saying this has inspired them to explore uh, you know coming to the symphony more often and it's not just about being edgy it's also about giving them just taste of, of, of something new and we have received a lot of uh, positive feedback and of course anytime you make changes to anything. You're going to get positive and you're going to get uh, negative. You're going to get people who who really are comfortable with, would be comfortable with it never changing at all. You know, I uh, have several very close friends and family members who, if they could eat the same uh, weekly routine the rest of their life, they would be very happy. Um, and then some people are always out there looking for that you know, that new exciting chili that's going to burn their mouth like <laughs> like it's never been burned before. You know, it's just it's different, different tastes, different uh, pursuits. So we're hoping we get as much positive um, impact as possible in our audiences. And it's great when we do make a bold choice and then we, we get the feedback that this inspired a new group of people or it inspired the same faces we've been seeing for years in ways that they haven't been inspired yet. It's exciting when, you know, our our percussion section comes up and is excited because we're doing, we're pushing them in ways that they haven't been pushed before and they're feeling pretty darn good about the fact that they just showed up and 
laid down something that's really, really challenging. Um, so it's, it's exciting to see musicians uh, finding fulfillment in the challenges that, um, are, that come from new and diverse programming as well. And that has to be such a proud feeling because the, the one struggle that it seems like every nonprofit seems to have is to navigate the murky waters that are sometimes unclear when it, when it comes to not only raising funds to put on shows, but also altering um, things as need be in a dynamic way without losing the image of who they are Absolutely. at the same time. It is. It's... it's a tremendously fine line because I, I, I sit here and I talk about, you know, expanding programming for the entire Jacksonville uh, community, but one also must be careful of trying to be all things to all people because there is a threshold and it's not necessarily a, something that can be distilled down into a single metric, but there is a threshold where you go from being inclusive to being diluted, diluted. We have to be uh, very aware that whatever we're doing, it is still being done with a very high artistic product uh, as a goal and that it's mission and vision driven. But the important thing is if we are always being mindful of our decisions, falling in line with our core values and our mission and the vision that we're, we're currently um, embracing, then I think that, you know, the decisions will meet the goals that, we, that we're striving for without coming apart at the seams. And what is your overall mission? To uh, stir souls <laughs> through symphonic music. music. I'd say you all do that. I'm really big into feeling and emotion when I'm watching anything, anything involving any type of art. And mm -hmm. I could feel it. And I felt like the individuals next to me could feel it. What does music do for you on an emotional level? I mean, of, of course, music is uh, very, it has a very direct pipeline to not only my emotions, but you know, my psychology and my um, philosophies but you know when you live with something as as a career I wouldn't say it becomes mundane because but it it certainly becomes just very familiar I probably don't experience music in the same way as somebody who comes to the concert hall once every week or maybe once a month or maybe once every few months that would probably be how I experience kind of blinking on a good example, just uh, some sort of, some sort of uh, you know, very exotic food or something where every moment is just, the brain is just going haywire with new information. For me, it's uh, music is still very moving and, and stirring. I am honestly more focused on the impact on the people who are coming to experience the music, whether it be you know, the students who are going to hear us at uh, the elementary school we, that we send a small ensemble to next Tuesday to, um, you know, the people who are coming to hear a sold-out concert. Early on, we talked a lot about change and kind of inspiring and influencing new generations. Would you say the, the children that you all do reach out to, do you feel as if they're inspired after being able to come to the symphony. It's both inspiring and 
on, on great days, it inspires you to do more. And on difficult days, it makes you realize what, how steep the climb we have ahead of us is. When, I, when, when I've been part of or witnessed outreach into schools, it's so evident how starved these uh, children are almost everywhere for art as part of their curriculum. Of course, there are exceptions of schools around Jacksonville and around the country where you know they're just providing a wonder, a beautiful, healthy diet to their students. But um, it's more the exception than the rule by a long shot. You see how enthusiastic they are about it, and of course, they're. I mean, kids have small attention spans, and they get, they get bored quickly. <laughs> they but there's still there, there's a very, very high percentage that are at least excited for at least a portion of it, if not the entire thing. And you really see that it is just something that, the, that we're wired to want. People might say, that's easy for you to say, this is your career, this is something that you were inspired by from a young age, but that's not everyone. But I... I would very strongly disagree from what I have seen. Uh, I do. Th it must be something that's hardwired in us to, to want the kind of juices that flow from experiencing and, and witnessing and, or participating in art, whether it be creative or performing. And it's great to see it when it happens, but then it makes me wonder how, how often do we need to give that dose for it really to have the kind of impact where it's going to become part of their lives? Even one is, is worth it. But if we are talking about how do we make you know, music a fulfilling part of that child's life in the long term, not, I don't mean just getting them into the concert hall, making them a patron down the road. Of course we would like that, but the, the most important goal, the best way to make this art form be, beyond just the Jacksonville Symphony uh, viable and sustainable going into the future is for it just to be kind of part of the, the, the inner tickings of as many people as possible and make exciting, great art and and, and be bold, et cetera, et cetera. It all keeps coming back to the same thing. And we feel that if we do that, and if we get that into as many people's lives as possible, as frequently as possible, then maybe you sort of plant that seed that, that can grow. But the challenge is actually planting a seed rather than just uh, giving a, a bite of prepared food. That's true. There's a, there's a very big difference between the two things. Being so ingrained in academia early in your life, do you think that fueled your zeal to want to impact others? Being a music teacher and having that opportunity to give students an aspect of the arts that is, I won't say that it's dying in schools, but there is a huge need in schools now to have more arts programs that they don't have. Mm -hmm. Do you carry some of that into the work that you do here? Uh, you know, I'm sure it's probably a little different for everyone, but I would contend that just about anybody who is passionate enough to work 
and devote their life to an art form in a nonprofit, which there are a lot of people working in nonprofits who could, if they wished, go work in a for-profit and probably have a very different paycheck at the end of the month. But um, they do it because they're, they're passionate about the cause. I would contend that anybody who is that connected to the art form really just wants to see that, to share that, that passion, see that passion ignited in as many people as possible. I want to see that. At, I, I, I really, it, it, to me, I enjoy seeing that at all ages. And that isn't in any way um, taking away from how beautiful it is to see something, uh, curiosity or a passion united in a child, because we all just know what the potential is there when it, when it happens at a young age. And it doesn't even mean that they'll necessarily you know, make it part of their career path or their, um, their, their studies necessarily, just that it's a living part of their life. And that is, of course, exciting, but honestly, I enjoy seeing it at, at any age, whether that, that happens in a one of our outreach shows at a, at a school or retirement communities that uh, has been sending um, a, a bus of residents every month for years, I, you know, them taking away something new and exciting from, from a performance that they never took away before. I think it's all pretty cool, and that, that is what drives me. That's a very deep and... In, in wonderful way to think and to want to approach not only other people but your surroundings as well. I ask most people that I meet this question when I sit down and talk to them. What do you think that your future self would say to you after reflecting back on the life that you've given? And I know that's kind of a loaded question because a lot of it is hypothesis. Mm -hmm. But what do you think that your future self would say to you based off of the legacy that you've left thus far? I think that I, I think there is a long, long way to go before I could possibly feel like I really achieved something that left a lasting mark. If I were to achieve that, I think my future self would say that I made the right choice and not going to law school. <laughs> I think I did make some good uh, impacts in my time in academia. Honestly, a lot of that had nothing to do with music, but just because they were people in, enrolled in studying music and um, some students who um, I was able to connect with in a really uh, meaningful way. There's a long way to go before I've left a significant mark. Um, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by people here at the symphony who have done that and are continuing to do that and are you know, giving me a lot of really great example of how to achieve that. It was really nice getting a glimpse into what you all do and what you all have given to the community around you community of Jacksonville. Um, thank you so very much. Now, I always um, ask, how, how is it that people can learn more about the Jacksonville Symphony? You all have social media, correct? You all Absolutely. have um, Twitter. And yeah, we do. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There's a, a, a 
great wealth of, uh, of information, whether it be just about who we are or what is coming up, what's uh, on the horizon, and that's available in a lot of uh, really cool different media. Um, our marketing team is doing a lot more live streaming now, so we, we, get a, we have a lot, a lot of uh, touch points there. Um, of course, our website, jaxsymphony.org, has a lot of great information. The best way to get to know who we are is just to come to the hall and see a performance. And there truly is something for almost any, everybody on, on our seasons. So I really encourage people to really dig into our seasons and see what's out there. Don't just assume you know what it's going to be because... Um, probably broader than than you think and give something a try and and you know talk to some of the patrons and you know f- find some of the musicians as they're leaving at the end of the performance and and, and t- talk with them and thank them for what they're doing and uh, there's there's no no way you can uh, replace the actual experience for getting to know who we really are and where we're really headed so and, and another thing that surprises a lot of people is you know the, the the range of ticket prices we have going to the symphony is surprisingly not that much different from doing a lot of different activities sure. so you can really spend you know a couple of hours on a, a weekend evening for a, a very reasonable rate all, all is on our website so i really encourage people to do that and you know i i'm at every concert uh and so is our uh, President and CEO uh, Robert Massey, and we always have our name badges on. When we, so I encourage people to always come up and you know talk to us and ask questions and tell us that they love something or tell us that that was the worst thing they've ever seen. <laughs> you know we want to hear it all. So um, it's I thank you for the opportunity to to let me talk about you know who we are and and where we're headed. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and allowing me to sit down with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. To find out more information about the Jacksonville Symphony, you can find them under the Twitter and Facebook handle of Jack's Symphony. Or if you want to get a list of the schedules or you want to actually become involved in some of the things that they do, if you go to jacksymphony.org you can find out tons more information i also did a really cool companion piece on a very formidable woman that works as a director at the jacksonville symphony her name is amy rankin so if you all want to read that companion interview which is in my blog um you're more than welcome to if you go to kaylarenehuggins.com you can totally read that and see what that experience was like thank you so much for listening and i'll see you all next time